beat. You did a pump fake. So, uh, having lived around the country, it's really fun to uh, travel around the country and to have people say, oh, where, where are you from? To which I usually say, well, what makes you think I'm from somewhere other than here? Well, the way you talk. So, Josh Katz has written a book in speaking, it's called Speaking American, How Y'all Use and You Guys Talk. And so throughout the book, he has done the survey of 350,000 people, and he has determined key words that can tell you, or key uh, descriptions of what can tell you where someone is from. For example, what would you call, um, when you're having a sale at your home of some of your junk, so we would probably say it's a garage sale, or garage sale, depending on how you pronounce garage. That's for Tori, who's not here because she's at the state fair eating so many things. Some people say in the South it's a yard sale or a rummage sale, so you can tell uh, how, where people are at. Where, where you get a drink of water in a public place. Some say water fountain, some say drinking fountain, and some weird people say bubbler. How about a big rig that hauls things? Some people say 18-wheeler. We say semi-truck. And then other people say other things, and they are different as well. Then Reader's Digest has broken it down into 13 foods that you can tell some, where somebody is from based on the foods that they describe. For example, uh, if you have a bun with some hamburger uh, that has been browned on the stove in the middle of it with some sauce, it is called a what? Thank you, Cedar. It is actually called a barbecue. It is not called a sloppy joe. You're only saying that because of Adam Sandler. But it's interesting because we have these words and phrases that tell us where we're from and how we speak uh, geographically. Like, of course, when you're from Minnesota, you say things like, yeah, sure, and you betcha. We are so glad to be in uh, a different part of this text today. We are in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. We have turned the page and we have been freed from the entanglement of the verses from last week. I did look ahead. Somebody said, did you look ahead to see if John has stuck you with 10? That's going to be next year, so we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So again, we're in this larger chunk of Hebrews. It's this interesting um, sandwich that we are dealing with, that we're going to uh, talk about in a little bit. But if you remember last week, we were talking about this challenging text around who these people are. We see uh, the writer of Hebrews switches and says uh, basically this but, but it's not translated in the ESV as but, though we speak in this way yet in your case. So he has 
uh, created, the writer has created this contrast between those people that we talked about last week and the people that he is addressing within the Hebrew church, meaning yet in your case. So he's making this distinction around who they are. And he makes a very important distinction about them by referring to them as his or her beloved. Because it's interesting, they are uh, using these larger groups of folks, even though we attribute it to one singular writer. So, who are these beloved? Well, first of all, we see that they, are, they have brighter days ahead. They need some shades because there is, their future is bright. And last week we were thinking, oh my goodness, their future is not bright. And again, that is the problem when we start to read Scripture in tiny little bits and pieces. We miss out on what is trying to be communicated across the totality of these sections. These people have a bright future. Why is that? Because they are going to be able to experience these things that belong to salvation. There are better days ahead of them. And it's interesting because we can very easily be swept up into this Myth of nostalgia, thinking about what used to be, and the Israelites used to deal with this, thinking, oh, it was better for us back in Egypt, even though back in Egypt was terrible, and they were slaves, and all these things. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to draw our view forward about what is going to happen in the future. And it's interesting because we feel like, okay, brighter days are ahead, yet we have some uh, moments of chairlift experiences that we will Uh, engage with as we go on. Things ahead, things better days that are coming. So what are we going to do about this? Verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. One thing that we're going to wrestle with and we're going to continue to struggle with, and it makes us feel very uncomfortable with, uh, some of us, is this tension between what does it mean to experience the grace of God in all its freeness and fullness, and what does it mean to live out our salvation within the context of the freedom of that grace and participate in what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Because the writer tells us that God is looking at the work and the love that these people are showing. And how is it that they're showing it? They're showing it through serving the saints. Now, we have talked about this idea before, this idea of saints. And saints is a larger category of anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Christ is considered a saint. It's not this highfalutin group of folks but it is a specific distinction for those who are followers of Christ. So what is it that the Hebrew church is doing? They're showing hospitality. Hospitality is such a key concept of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And and Rosaria Butterfield in her book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says this. She says, membership in the kingdom of God is intimately linked to the practice of hospitality in this life. Hospitality is the ground zero of the Christian life. Biblically speaking, a more crucial question for the Bible-believing Christian is this. 
is it safe to fail to get involved? Now, get involved in showing hospitality. Now, it's fascinating as you mingle around through the gathering space, so many people comment not only on the treats, but they comment on, on not just the coffee, but on the ceramic mug. Can I get an amen? Literally last week I heard three people say, oh, this is so nice to have a ceramic mug. And I'm like, that's it? That's all it takes. We just moved to ceramic mugs. We've always had ceramic mugs, but that is the key to what it takes. Joshua Jibb, in his uh, recent book, Saved by Faith and Hospitality, again, makes the case that to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to extend hospitality, not only to those who are other disciples of Christ, but to those who are outside of the faith. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, God is looking at you and is going to see the hospitality that you show, and the justice of God is wrapped up in how he is going to treat the hospitality that the Hebrew church is showing to those that they come in contact with. And it's interesting because we immediately have a whole bunch of objections, right? Well, I can't show hospitality because what's... I mean, if we were to do family feud, okay? Family feud... Top five reasons why I can't show hospitality in my home. Number one would be? Okay. <laughs> okay, maybe that's honorable mention number six. Uh, number one would probably be I don't have the space. I don't have the space. Number two would probably be I don't have the time. Number three, I'm not a good cook. Number four, I don't have a nice enough space. It's interesting because, so last night, a friend of mine, Spencer, was throwing out the ceremonial first pitch. He was on the front page of the dispatch, and so he invited all, a bunch of folks to come down and to participate and to cheer him on and to watch the Twins beat the Milwaukee Brewers in your face, Milwaukee, Right? And as I was sitting there, crammed in my seat, like this, right, with hundreds of thousands of other people, I'm thinking, we make a case that we don't have enough space <laughs> to have people sit in our home for one hour, yet we'll come to a ballpark, cram ourselves, eat subpar food at overpriced rates, and call it a good time, and we'll pay for it. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> we are exhorted, we're challenged, we're told throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament that showing hospitality towards other folks is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, God is looking at what you are doing. And I know that makes us like slightly uncomfortable. So what you're saying is that, that I'm earning my salvation by participating in hospitality. 
That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that clearly God cares about hospitality and showing hospitality and serving one another and loving one another through these acts and practices. And the the writer of Hebrews is contrasting what we talked about last week in whether or not we're going to even make it (laughs) with this is a clear sign of we're making it. And so we wrestle with, okay, yeah, but I have all, all, of these, all of these excuses, explanations, reasons. I mean, and frankly, to some degree, like, I know this is going to be, why are we talking about this? The past 18 months have provided us with a free pass. Sorry, don't trust you coming in my home. So, therefore, I don't have to have anyone in my home. Free, free pass. Woohoo. Mm. Mm. It's nice, right? It's nice to not have anyone in your house. Because you don't have to do the dishes when you don't want to, you don't have to vacuum, you don't have to yell at your kids. I mean, Instruct your kids to clean up their room. (laughs) Shut your doors. People are coming over. (laughs) That is such a, and I've been examining myself, this is such a fleshly thing. Like, I am lazy, and I don't want to clean my house. Therefore, let's just go out to eat. And I understand that we can have hospitality when we're eating out. But, but when we look at this, this letter to the Hebrews, these people aren't eating out. The hospitality that is being addressed and the loving and service that is being addressed to the Hebrews is having people in their homes, having travelers in their homes who would not have been able to afford a place to live as they were traveling throughout this area. It, it's caring for people in their homes. That's why when we have small groups kicking off very soon, We meet in individuals' homes, in people's homes, because we can gather and experience the joy and the fellowship of hospitality. And that's what it means to be disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, to be in each other's space, to live in each other's spheres, and to acknowledge, yeah, not everything's perfect. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what space we're sitting in, whether it's a living room or around a table or or in the smallest room we have in our house. Okay, that would be awkward because it's probably a bathroom. Okay, maybe take that away. Or what we're eating. What matters is that we're gathering and inviting people into our homes because how good does it feel unless you're a severe introvert and then you have challenges to be invited into somebody's home. Hey, come over to our house. We'd love to eat with you and and to share stories. Hospitality is a posture of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I know, there's still some objections. So the question that I would have, you ask, or ask, that we would ask ourselves is, what would it take to change my mind, to be willing to invite people into my home. What would it take? 
for me today to invite somebody into my home to share hospitality with them. Because as Rosaria says, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have a house key, (laughs) meaning you're not without a home, then we are called to invite people in to experience God's grace in our homes. And it's really hard. And it's really hard. And I acknowledge that. That doesn't mean that's not what we're called to. The writer goes on and says, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit, inherit the promise. Again, this, this gets tricky. <laughs> this gets tricky. To show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. Now, it's interesting because when we talk about a word like hope, it's not... Assurance of hope is not wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is the Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, come on, right? (laughs) Assurance of hope is that the Bears aren't going to beat the Vikings in the NFC North. Sorry, Dan. I mean, that's more realistic than them winning the Super Bowl. And so this assurance of hope is not this pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking. It's the reality of knowing that God is who he is and the salvation that we are going to experience in the present and in the future is going to happen as long as we, as the writer of Hebrews is saying, continue to press into this thing called faith. And so we have, again, as I mentioned, we have this larger section that is this big sandwich, okay? And the bread layers are the fact that Jesus is the high priest. So like we started with Jesus as the high priest, top of the bread, and next week we're going to get into the bottom of the bread, or the bottom piece of bread, which is that Jesus is still the high priest. And then the cheese, because any good meat sandwich has two layers of cheese, one on the top and one on the bottom, because when you bite into it, you want to feel the cheese on your tongue. And so we have this, um, we have this lazy faith cheese. Sounds delicious, doesn't it? Because remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about them being dull of hearing, and now the writer says, Do not be sluggish. Do not be sluggish. Now, I understand we start to get into this uh, tricky, sticky wicket, no pun intended on the cheese, of legalism. So what you're telling me is in order to retain my faith, I have to do X, Y, and Z. I have to show hospitality. I can't be lazy. I have to do these things. That sounds an awful lot like the law and legalism, which is not what the writer of Hebrews is saying, which is not what I'm saying. A few weeks ago on the Holy Post, for you Holy Post fans, you'll recognize this name, Mandy Smith. She was talking about her favorite epistemologist. Mine is Alvin Plantinga, if you're keeping score here or at home. And her favorite 
epistemologist focuses on the importance of loving in order to know. She says that we take the risk of loving something in order to know it. And George Guthrie says that this earnestness that we're talking about here is the state of being meaningfully engaged in something. So there is this fear that what is happening within the Hebrew church is that they're becoming hard of hearing, back to five, and they have the potentiality to become sluggish or lazy. And I'm like, I, amen to that. I mean, if we, want, if we don't want to admit it, I mean, we don't have to admit it. And, and then I have, to, I have to admit it. Because certain times we experience these periods uh, of extreme intensity. And, and we come to faith and we are so excited about who God is and, and the experience uh, of the Spirit in our lives. And we're passionate and we're, we're all in. And then as our faith grows, unfortunately, it can stale. And then the passion is diminished. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't let that happen. Do not allow your faith to become lazy or sluggish. But... Imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And if you remember back to Philippians, Paul is calling us to, to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Here again, we get this image of imitating those who are following after Christ. Mimicking the actions and behaviors of a disciple of Christ who we see living out their faith on a daily basis. Because at the end of the day, when we look at the totality of our faith and our participation in our faith, one hour on a Sunday morning is not the totality of the participation of our faith in Christ. This is the gathering where we get together and we get to celebrate and we get to sing songs and share in fellowship and Every once in a while, we are so moved by the Spirit where we actually may clap. But this isn't what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews is saying, if we are afraid of missing out on participation in what Christ is doing in the end... You can say it a different way that I probably wouldn't choose to say. Then this is the step-by-step process through which we are assured of our faith in Christ. So we don't have to fear the previous verses if we are pressing in to what it means to experience the wholeness and fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. 
The writer of Hebrews says, if you want to be sure of your position before God, come to faith in Christ and then live in this particular way, showing hospitality and imitating those who seek to be the closest Christ-like human beings they can be. Let's pray. Father God, we come this morning and we know that you have provided a way in which we can be in relationship with you. And as we read your word and your desire to communicate with us, we understand that you wrote first to the Hebrews and we are reading it seeking to understand what it is that you desire from us. Holy Spirit, we pray for your wisdom and your discernment. We pray for the fire to continue to be fanned in our lives as we seek to respond to the call that you have placed on disciples of you to show hospitality, to not become sluggish, but to be imitators of those that seek to be formed by you. May that be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen.